those are the things we're working on. And I, I hope that our, our contribution is going to be a mix of systems and structures that increase access to things like social and emotional learning, that increase access to things like teacher feedback at high quality, that increase access to what it means to improve public, public education, even if you're not in an urban assembly school in the urban assembly network. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, super excited because we get to have conversations with amazing innovators in the world of education, and today is no different. So today um, joining us is David Adams, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Urban Assembly. And so in a minute, we're going to have David sort of share with us what that's all about, but a little bit about David's background. Um, he started with Urban Assembly back in 2014 as a Director of Social and Emotional Learning, which is a really big emphasis of Urban Assembly. I've, I've come to see in all of my research. Um, and he's also um, the creator of the Resilient Scholars Program, or IRSP, which is a unique approach to integrating SEL into curriculum and class classroom practices across their network. So David, welcome to the program. Thank you, Annalise. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Excellent. Um, so um, super excited to have this conversation. So our listeners come to us from all over the world. And so let's set the stage just a little bit. So first and foremost, help everybody understand what is um, the, the Urban Assembly. And ultimately, it's this collection or collaboration of schools, but it's more than that. So give us the 100,000 foot view of what it is that you're doing. All right. So we're at 100,000 feet. Um, 100, and we're looking feet. down and we're, we're trying to find the Urban Assembly uh, across the, the the Earth's topography, right? Um, and so what you're going to see is an educational nonprofit uh, that's dedicated to economic and social mobility of communities by improving public education. Um, and we do that by not only designing high-impact and high-quality schools here in New York City, we have 23 of those, uh, but also taking our learning solutions and scaling them across the country. Um, and that's things like social-emotional learning, career-connected learning, uh, things like high-quality and engaging academics, and obviously our post-secondary readiness programs are secondary to none. Well, and one of the things that is super exciting to me, um, you know, about the work that you're doing was this idea, certainly from your origin story, that a lot of this was thinking about this sort of career-themed sort of school experience. And I am assuming um, that you use this as sort of the hook to engage students to be part of the journey and to take ownership and what their futures look like. So could we spend just a minute sort of talking about this concept of this sort of career-themed sort of school approach piece? Because I do think it sets a lot of the sort of baseline or foundational components of all the things that you've built since that original school sort of component? Well, I love the way you asked the question, right, of the origin story, because it kind of makes me think mm -hmm. of Spider-Man, right, uh, <laughs> going to the radioactive lab and having the spider bite him and then give me super spider powers. And if you if you don't know, he can do everything a spider can. Uh, that's Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so when we think about the Urban Assembly, uh, what was the radioactive spider that bit us? 
right? And and that was the the graduation rate in, in uh, New York City in about 1997 when Urban Assembly was started, uh, which was 47% across the city and hadn't budged for about 10 years. Um, and so we have folks in the community, uh, folks like Misha Ross Porter, uh, folks like Reverend Jacques de Graff, folks like Richard Kahn come together and say, we want to build an education system that's worthy of the community and the folks who are going to these schools. Um, and uh, during the South Bronx at the time, they were looking to build a courthouse. Um, and folks like Misha Ross Porter came together and said, uh, we don't need more justice uh, involved youth. What we need is more educationally involved youth and an education system that will involve them. Um, and so from there, we, we, we came up with a model. And, and the model really looks at private-public partnerships. Um, and as the, the Urban Assembly is a private-public partnership, uh, being a nonprofit that sponsors and designs uh, schools within the Department of Education here in New York, um, we really looked at how do we get industry invested in the education space? And, and how do we create a relevant and engaging education for young people? So um, what we did is design these schools that were grounded in a theme uh, that spoke to young people's ambitious ambitions about the skills they could develop and the way to deploy those skills. Um, the second thing we did is we brought a partnership coordinator in, and that partnership coordinator's job was really designed to identify things like internships and workplace learning opportunities and partnerships at large that would engage young people in the learning process. So currently we have the large collection of CTE schools in New York City and beyond, um, things like the Harbor School, Gateway School. We have schools uh, like um, school uh, designed for, uh, sorry, school designed in construction um, over in Manhattan, um, as well as schools like Collaborative Healthcare up in, up in Queens and, and Brooklyn. So um, our job is really to think about what can we do to make education relevant, to bring investment into education, and then return that investment from young people back into the educational uh, system. I love that. I love that so much. So much of our work is really based on this idea of we need to engage students in the moment, right? So I, I really like the, the the approach that's been taken here. But I am super curious. So so what happens if a kid chooses a school? So let's um, you mentioned one that um, has a healthcare focus, just as an example. So a kid opts into that and then suddenly decides, but I don't like healthcare. Well, what happens next? Well, I mean, uh, when we think about the the focus of a school, usually we're thinking about a career pathway that's built into that school, right? Um, and so students have an opportunity to expose themselves to a career pathway and to an internship and say, uh, how does this feel for me? Do I like it? Do I not? Um, and some students are like, wow, I don't like blood um, or, you know, people are not my thing. Um, and that gives them some insight into not only what they want to do as they leave high school, but um, even their post-secondary education, how they want to pursue that. So uh, it's not so tight so that it's the only thing that's happening in the school, uh, but it is the way that we've organized those career pathways and those career um, opportunities. So uh, you always have, have an opportunity to do something else. Um, one of our schools, the Urban Assembly School for Green Careers, for example, has just started a, a CTE pathway for cooking um, as, as an opportunity for young people. Um, so it, it's really about um, developing skills and developing exposure um, so young people understand what their likes and dislikes are. And they're also introduced to, to the world of work. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I guess that's all of the components that I really love about it. And I was hoping that that was the way that you were going because, you know, the reality of it is that, you know, you're giving students some really incredible opportunities, sort of a taste of what the future career might be. What does it feel like? How do I feel when I'm doing that thing um, about myself, about my community, about my own potential? But the other thing that I really love about this particular um, process that you've put in place here is this is all around this idea of um, career exploration and college readiness. And I mean, the reality is, you know, post-secondary is expensive for, 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 for most kids. And the last thing that, you know, the, the adults in the room should want for them is, you know, to go down a road and realize I'm spending a lot of money on something that's not the thing that gets me jazzed in the mm, morning. Mm, 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 mm. Like Louis Armstrong, right? Yeah. Like, I mean... Uh, you said something important, Annalise, and I think this is something I want to elevate, right? Um, young people want to contribute to their community and they want to have the skills to do that and the responsibility to do that. Um, and so when we give young people uh, opportunities uh, to see themselves as part and parcel of what makes our community run, um, uh-huh. whether that's working, whether that's family support, um, whether that's uh, a young person volunteering, they see themselves not just as a unit of an individual, but as a larger unit of, of a community, um, of, as a neighborhood or society. Um, and that's where confidence comes from, right? That's, that's where young people think, I have something, I'm worthy of what that, that thing is, and the community uh, is worthy of what I can offer. So um, the, the role of work and skill development and, and giving a sense of identity um, and, and a skill set to young people that may not necessarily be um, present in, in the academic, strictly academic space, right? Uh, in the more abstract act- academic space. I don't think that could be overstated. And um, um, we know what our graduation rates are nationally around coming out of four-year institutions. And I think we can do better on that. Um, and also, I think we need to, to come to an understanding that uh, there's dignity in work that's not necessarily credentialed through a four-year degree, um, but it just needs some sort of credential, right, to, to, to identify that. So that's the balance, that's the tension point, and uh, I don't know that we have all the answers, but I do know that we try every day to figure out how to get this a little bit better. Yeah, I, I really love that. And I I think that one of the other things that's really key about um the way you sort of express that and, and I I that the identity piece I think is is absolutely critical. So at past we we have um engaged in a project um particularly around STEM identity, a, a big multi-year sort of endeavor that we're we are running down right now. And the the identity component, I don't think whether whatever label of you want to put around the identity component, right, doesn't make any difference. Difference um, is is so absolutely critical, and I think that one of the things that oftentimes gets lost um, in a lot of programs or projects is the the notion that these participants, our learners, the students, they they are already members of a community. They are they are full fledged members of society who are trying to figure out how to be their most most robust versions of the citizen that they have the potential to be. And one of the components to help them get there um, that I have certainly seen in my journey over the years is that empowerment opportunity that comes from the moment that they find the thing that they are super passionate 
passionate and want to engage in. And it does, in fact, feed their identity. And it feeds the notion of the way they see themselves in the world and the contributions that they can make. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I I couldn't say it better. Um, We all have contributions to make. And I think one of the things coming out of the pandemic uh, that we've struggled with is that a, a good percentage of students um, we're making very concrete contributions to their family in the financial sense. Um, we've really struggled to re-engage those students on the long-term benefits of schooling um, around or as compared to the short-term benefits of work. Um, and that's been a challenge. I mean, I mean uh, here at the UA, our chronic absenteeism has gone up since the, the pandemic, and we're working on some solutions around re-engaging folks. Um, but those are things that we need to go out and, and make the argument around. Um, it's very nice to come home with a paycheck uh, that says, I have done something for my family, for my community. I am, I'm, I'm a contributing member. Um, and we just need to make the argument that says that there are different credentials that are set people up for a longer term opportunity to contribute. Um, and I think when, when, we, when we look at young people and say the only way that you can contribute um, is through one specific path uh, through schooling, um, then I think we we take away an identity that that a potential identity. But Annalise, let me tell you something. Like I remember with my wife, my wife's name is Tamika, and I remember um, when uh, this must have been like five or six years ago. We have two kids, Elijah and Isaiah, um, and I remember telling her, "This is this is life, right? There's no like no more prep. There's no more schooling. There's no. I mean, I'm sure there's schooling, but there's no more like I am getting ready to." Um, and I think we've kind of created this space where everybody is getting ready to do the next thing. You go to high school and you're getting ready to go to college. What's the purpose of college? To prep you for grad school. What's the purpose of grad school? To prep you for a PhD. Um, and I guess what I, what I envision is a notion of the purpose of high school is to prep you to be prepared to contribute. Now, however you do that is up to you and, and, and your skills that you develop and the credentials that you accumulate. Uh, but we should leave high school ready, not for the next version of education, but ready to contribute now. And the point of that uh, K-12 system, as we think about it, is really society's investment in itself um, to ensure that young people have the ability to, to, to do something in the community and society. Um, and whether that's a longer route to post-secondary education, whether that's a job, whether it's a credential, um, it's not just the next thing. You know, uh, it is its own holistic set of skills. And if we're not doing that, then we have not done and lived up to the purpose of the public education system. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think that that could have been said any better. That's awesome. So let's dig in just a little bit then, because there are a number of different program elements that are part of the magic, if you will, or the secret sauce um, that is um, that that is the way your program and your, your schools work, what makes them successful. One of those components is tied, obviously, to the SEL. One of those components is, is, is tied to the sort of career and theme sort of component. And one of the, the magic pieces is the way you bring industry partners into actively being part of the school environment. So let's talk a little bit about some of those components. And right now, post-pandemic, there's a lot of chatter, as there should be, about social-emotional learning. 
um, and about the health and well-being of an entire community, not just an individual learner, but a community of learners. So whether it's a school, that's the neighborhood, that's the family unit, um, that there's all of these things we know are interlinked. So let's talk a little bit about the program and the way that you've sort of approached this idea um, within the, the, the school um, the school setting. Well, uh, the role of social-emotional skill development can't be overstated um, in, in not only the academic space, but the employment space. Um, and not only the employment space, but the life space. Uh, these are a set of skills that really undergird uh, young people's ability to, to interact with themselves, interact with the world, um, and then solve problems successfully, right? Uh, these are things like self-management, uh, self-awareness, relationship skills, uh, there are things like social awareness, how well we recognize social cues, perspective taking. Um, these are the, the the skill sets that really allow us to be in community with each other and right interact with ourselves in a way that helps us thrive. Um, so when you look at the role of social and emotional skill development uh, in, in the world, uh, you know employers are looking for people who are flexible. And, and you think about, okay, well, what does it mean to be flexible? We have executive functioning, right? You have your cognitive kind of like, how well can I focus on a task and then and shift my focus effectively? And then you have your, your emotional space, right? Like, and Lisa, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, let's say I'm, I was in college, I was typing a paper, typing a paper. This is like back in the old days for Google Docs where everything's saved. Something happens, right? And the paper is gone, right? And, and I sit there. And, and you think about this and you're like, okay, how long am I going to stew, stew over this? How long am I going, am I going to uh, be upset about it? And how long am I going to try to find the paper in the computer versus write mm -hmm. the paper? And I'm sure you, right. you had this, right? Yep. Oh, Did yeah. You, I remember those days back before the Google Docs. So. Back before, right? <laughs> and so a lot of the things when you think about this, right, this is, this is an emotional regulation problem mm -hmm. set. Um, how long do I want to work on this problem uh, of trying to find it versus writing a new one? And what's stopping me from writing a new one in terms of a paper? So this question of how long to work on the paper, uh, how long to spend on recovering the paper, um, and, and when to start again, that's not just an executive functioning question. It's an emotional question, right? Um, and so when we integrate the social, emotional, social, emotionally academic, we're graduating and, and putting out into the world a whole person. Um, and then when you think about some of the challenges of community and democracy and, and, and how we communicate across difference and perspective taking and finding common ground and pursuing common good, uh, these things are just as important in, in the, the social emotional space than the academic space, right? I like to talk about um, we really elevate our engineers because they have the ability to build bridges, these physical kind of connections. Um, but we don't necessarily elevate the folks who are able to create these social bridges across difference, across communities that allow us to find that common good. Um, and that's everything from sitting out in a meeting and brainstorming and working to find the best idea by listening and integrating diverse concepts uh, to sitting around a town, town, town square or a town meeting uh, trying to figure out what the new order and new order and ordinances vis-a-vis um, -vis, uh, a participatory democracy. So uh, can't overstate the SEL space. Um, very proud of our young people who graduate from our schools, ready to contribute to their community, uh, not just with what they know, but who they are. Right. 
Right. And one of the other things that I really sort of love about the approach that you're taking as an organization is the fact that you're really recognizing that as, um, you know, different generations of students sort of come through, they're thinking about the world very differently, right? You know, when we start and think about our littlest learners right now, you know, this this generation is, um, that's that's going to be coming up. They, they've already defined a set of fluidity of thinking about the world that a lot of older people just don't have because it wasn't the world in which they lived lived in. And so one of the things that I sort of like about the approach is that that you're really sort of recognizing the here and now at the same time you're trying to prep these kids to to literally go out and be part of the world. But but they're also going to be part of the change of the world too. And that's really quite frankly a, a, a lovely thing. I am super curious though, how you take the concepts and the ideas that you've put in place. You know, like you said, 23 of these schools just in New York City alone. Um, so it's clearly been extremely successful. So how does that translate into other places? Because I'm just imagining, you know, our listeners are like, okay, this is super cool. You know, David is talking about all the things that we know we need to be doing, but how do we actually implement in other places, you know, uh, the components of those concepts? So how, how is it as an organization that you think about scale? Well, such a great question, Annalise. And uh, one of our strategic priorities, um, scale what works, right? Um, and we talk about taking generalizable problem sets and scaling them. And, and we do that by really developing solutions uh, that have meaning in different contexts. And, and this is a, it's, it's an abstraction challenge, right? An abstraction problem set, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're too concrete, um, then the hooks into a school or community don't resonate in different spaces. Correct. Right? If, Correct. If you're They're like not culturally who, relevant. Exactly. Right. right? right. If you're too abstract, uh, then people don't have a sense of step one, step two, step three, step four. Uh, so we spent a lot of time looking at the solutions that we've developed in our schools um, and then, and then, refining them to the right level of abstraction so that another district could say, yes, I can see what the concept is here. Um, and I can organize that concept in my context. Um, so on the SEL side of the house, we would work in places like Lansing, Michigan, and California, and Tennessee, and Boston, and Virginia, um, and, and places across the country, Georgia. Um, and the way that we do that is, is really developing the set of principles that create uh, hooks that districts can then plan against uh, to solve their own problem sets um, in unique ways, while recognizing that the problems are, are pretty or pretty uh, consistent across different spaces. So let me just put it another way, right? So like you study history um, and you realize uh, that the same problems come up time and time and time again. Uh, what the cool part of, of life is, is your unique in this moment way that you solved it. Um, the same problem set has popped up across history, but there's never been an Annalise before. Uh, who has worked around the world and thought about how do I solve this in this context? And, and that's why we do our, our solution development, right? It's saying, uh, I, I'm going to identify some problem sets that we've generalized across, uh, across the country, uh, but your solution is going to be unique to you. It's going to be specific to you and it's going to be sustainable to your context. Right. All of which is wickedly important because yes, we know that if it's not culturally relevant and locally derived, it will not work. Right. And at the same time, you don't want each person to solve the, Correct. Uh, to, to, what am I saying? Um, something the wheel, 
Yeah, you don't want to reinvent that wheel. Reinvent the wheel. I don't know why That's I lost right. this one. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. But, you don't but, but, but absolutely you don't, right? So you have to have, you know, a level of foundation, right? right. Do you have to I always talk about it like, you know, the old buckyballs. You know what a buckyball is? No, that that, that, that so you know, a buckyball is a child's toy and it, it, it expands and contracts. And it's it's just a framed ball, right? You I'm sure oh, you've played God. with them or your kids oh, have yeah, played with yeah. them. You've it's seen like, them, right? This like, buckyball, right? Yeah. You pull it and you you know, and it, it stretches all these different ways. But you can't break it, right? Because it's a it's a structure, right? But it's a structure that can be shaped in a variety of different ways. And so I always think about it that way. It's like, you know, really, really great accessible education um, has a framework that is solid yet flexible. And the frame's going to look the same everywhere, but the skin or the covering or or whatever, the, the, the outer elements, the visuals, right, that are represented to the world are going to change based on what the need or the location or the culture or the community is. Because one size does not fit all. And that's one of the reasons why we've been struggling so much is in the U.S. with our public education system. I mean, when you say that, what it reminds me is, is every culture developed some system of bow and arrow. Yeah, 100%. The materials are different. The contexts are different. The problem set of like how to get some projectile uh, to some animal, right? So I can feed myself, right? Yeah. That's right, right? And so that's how I think about the work, right? Uh, Your materials may not look the same, but we all have that same problem set. And sometimes we are going to develop some very similar solutions. Um, The other thing I would say that we are very deeply invested in is knowledge sharing um, and knowledge sharing platforms. And, and and socializing knowledge quickly, again, so that what people have solved for, we don't have to solve for again. Um, and, and yet, giving people enough flexibility to say, but in my context, I want it to look like this. So um, you, you, you hit it right on the head, Annalise. It's, it's about uh, structure that's clear and yet flexible, right? So that's, that's how we think about the solutions that we develop. Yeah, absolutely. I love that very much. Okay, you know, as as I'm imagining what our listeners are sort of processing for themselves, and everybody always wants to know, this is a great story. This is incredible impact that you're having, but it hasn't it hasn't always been smooth sailing. Nothing ever is, right? So I always want to sort of ask the question, you know, what 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 is the thing that you're either you're working on right now that's the next great thing? Or more importantly, what's the thing that you've had to battle over and over and over again and 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 is is an issue that remains to be solved, but that your part, you, your organization is part of the ultimate solution set? Well, I love that question. Um, and uh, let me go back to something you said before. I think a consistent challenge for us is really um, identifying the point of what we call compatibility or readoption uh, of a concept to a local environment, and uh, that tension with the the mechanism of action or the the component that does the work, right? And so um, we, I think, have continued to think about that balance between what's fidelity. Uh, what is the actual core ingredient, the active ingredient, if you were talking about medicine, right, uh, in a generic sense? Um, and what is flexible? Uh, delivery systems are flexible, right? If you're looking at a medicine again concept, you can you can poke it, you can eat it, you can ingest it, or you can. There's a lot of different ways to get the active ingredient to the the, the space that you need to get into, and so that's something we continue to struggle uh, to work through and and to refine. Um, because people de- do need to take ownership of a, of a space. 
Um, the other thing I'd say that we're really proud of and, and I'm really proud of, of looking at is, is this notion of how do you scale um, in a way that retains the, 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 the essence of a thing, but uh, opens up the opportunity beyond 23 schools. So uh, the work that New York City did around SEL was largely based on the Urban Assembly's approach. Um, and we watched this go from 23 schools to really 1,600 schools. Uh, and then we watched um, what went well and, and what we need to engage on, re-engage on. Um, we identified like what key themes and messages resonate. Uh, what's the difference between practices that feel um, uh, authentic um, and feel compliancy? Um, how do we create a sense of ownership at, at a scale of 1,600? Um, how do we recreate practices that are intensive in terms of trust um, at that level? And uh, I think we're, we're, we're continuing to work to do that. We've employed uh, 14 social emotional learning specialists who are engaged in relationship building in schools across New York City and beyond. Um, and we continue to, to, to refine those inputs um, in a way that folks feel involved and, and feel uh, a sense of ownership over the work at such a scale where, uh, speaking 100,000 feet, right, uh, you could see 1,600 schools fill a whole auditorium um, and hundreds of thousands of students getting this opportunity to think about what are my social emotional learning skills? How do they help me solve problems? Um, the other thing I'd say is we're really interested in this notion of um, instructional feedback at scale. Uh, again, the, the, the trade-off between technology to make things simple um, in terms of things like uh, identifying really key practices um, and the human interaction that really creates the motivation to improve, um, the insight into how uh, certain interactions are related to others. So um, the labor in a lot of um, high-quality practices is high. And, and how do we help reduce the labor but not replace it, right? Um, so that we're enabling and enhancing the quality of feedback uh, so that teachers feel like, yes, um, I can get better at this thing more than just two times a year when it's my pre and my post observation, right? And so those are the things we're working on. And I, I hope that our, our contribution is going to be a mix of systems and structures that increase access to things like social emotional learning, that increase access to things like teacher feedback at high quality, that increase access to what it means to improve public, public education, even if you're not in an urban assembly school in the urban assembly network. Right. Absolutely. So, um, and I appreciate all of that very much, um, the, the insights there. I always like to think about as I'm sort of wrapping the conversation that I have with my guests with recognizing that there are folks out there in the world that are listening to the conversation that you and I are having. And they're reflecting on all the incredible things that are happening, the positive things that they've heard. and that, But they're wondering how to make some of the changes that you're talking about in their own practice. So, you know, Urban Assembly may not be coming to their community, right, for whatever reason. But they've heard so many things that you've been talking about today, David. And, and, and the response is, I want to incorporate some of these ideologies, right, into my own practice on behalf of my students, right? But how, how does an individual teacher out there in the world um, sort of take some of the learning um, that, that has happened um, through the years that you've been building um, Urban Assembly? And how, how, do, how do I incorporate that? What would you say to somebody who says, I don't know what to do, but I really want to be more like David. 
Um, well, first, I would say I'm flattered. I appreciate that <laughs> uh, that, that inspiration. We, we really do think about how we can inspire others um, to solve problems in public education. Uh, so the first thing, Annalise, is, is and this is going to sound weird, right? Because we're talking about this moral dimension of social, emotional, academic development and cultural relevance. Um, but there are problems in education um, and we can solve problems, wow. right? And and I think if you look at a, a problem set and say, okay, well, uh, I have a current state of what's happening and I have an end state of what I want to happen. And in between that, there is a problem. Um, and, and how do I define that problem? How do I understand the constraints? Uh, how do I dig into the how versus the what? Um, I think we start to approach this thing in a in a in a way that maybe pulls a little bit of the like ah pull your hair out frustration, and and puts in some of the okay like how can I make progress on this and 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 it doesn't have to be a hundred percent right like I used to watch these these uh, engineering things and talk about this friction right and said okay look if I reduce the friction by six percent right we increase gas mileage and blah, 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 blah. and 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 it's not no friction, right? Sometimes in education, we get into this place and like, we're not having any friction, right? This is a, a, a an energy machine and it will always produce energy <laughs> and it will lose no energy to anything. And that's not realistic. And I think that- It's a myth. It's a myth. It's a right? physical- We tell ourselves, right? <laughs> physical impossibility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if you say like, wow, yeah, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure my the bottom third of my performance and potential- uh, can increase by about 15%, right? And I'm going to take a bright spot and I'm going to say like, oh, well, what happened with him or her that was so successful? Uh, how do I replicate that, right? Because we got to start with what's working. And then we're like, okay, well, uh, I, I did that. Now, how do I replicate it to five and the 10 and the 15? All right, well, how do I do that for 15 days, 20 days and 30 days? Um, and now I have a solution set here to a problem that says, I just have to do that thing that I did for those students consistently across a month, two months, three months, um, and I'm making progress. So I, I would say that we wrung, we wrung our hands a lot in education. We, you know, we, we flog ourselves. Um, and there surely are problems to solve for. Uh, but I mean, we put a man on the moon, you know, yeah. shot a rocket up in the air and, 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 and landed a guy in a space suit, mm-hmm. right? And brought it home. And brought him home. Yeah. It was remarkable. Remarkable, right? Well, Amazing thing. We can thing. solve problems. We can, right? we can solve some stuff. It's we true. We can solve I agree. some stuff. Yeah. So that's what I would say to that teacher, you know, uh, no such thing as a frictionless machine, uh, mm-hmm. no such thing as a perfect classroom. Um, but we can get the right components to reduce refraction, just like we can get the right components to maximize instruction in the classroom. I love that. Thank you so much. What a great way to end this conversation, David. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us and share the story. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on Learning Unboxed. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.